good morning, everybody. Good morning. Didn't the guys do a really good job? Thank you. Thank you for our gift, guys, for all the work that you did. I'd just like to point out that one of them single girls, okay? He's made a promise already, you know, he's gonna sweep up. So <laughs> I reckon he could be a good catch there. You know, I'm uh, expecting a, a great Mother's Day. So far, I've had a phone call from uh, Australia, from my girls. And uh, Josh is here making everything happen this morning. And I know Josh and Katie are going to be uh, looking after me later tonight, apparently. I've not got to worry about food after the services tonight. So watch this space, see what's happening. But, you know, this is the first time that I've uh, come back on this platform to preach this weekend since our three-month three sabbatical. Steve and I went away for three whole months, traveled around all around the world. And this is the first time that I've uh, preached since then. So last night, I had a dream. I'm sure there was a bit of a connection. I had a dream that I'd come to C3. It was Sunday morning, and we were, for some reason, sitting in, a, in a, an arena, and we were sat on stone steps. Don't know where that came from, but we were sat there. And I realized during the meeting that I'd forgotten my notes, and my notes weren't with me. So I said to Steve, I'm going to have to go and get my notes. I know where they are. They're in the car down the road, but I'll just go and have to go and get them. So I went down the road and went to my car and found my notes. And when I opened my notes, they weren't what I'd planned in my mind to do. So I was reading my notes thinking, oh, I'm going to have to learn this really quick because they're different notes. And it was taking a while to read them through. And I was thinking, gosh, I've got to quite quickly get this in my head. And I, probably I took longer than I should have done. And so by the time I got back to C3, Steve and Andrew decided to put a Disney film on instead. <laughs> so this morning, would you like a Disney film? <laughs> oh, Angie Campbell. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because <laughs> I have got my right notes, and I do know what I want to speak to you about today. So we've had a bit of entertainment, but not quite a Disney film. We're going to look at some Proverbs, Proverbs 3, verse 3. And the verses should come up behind me here. It says in Proverbs 3, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them on your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. In the message, those verses say, Don't lose your grip on love and loyalty. Tie them around your neck, carve their initials on your heart. What beautiful words, love and loyalty. We often hear the words faithfulness, but I love that phrase there and the message where they brought it through as love and loyalty. And perhaps that's not a word that we use that often, but it's something that I really want us to unpack this morning. You know, there are two key characteristics that if lived out well, that's what the verses say to me, if we look at these two key characteristics of love and loyalty and we live them out well, it will bring favor to us from God and man. They give us, you see, a picture of how God works. He gives us a picture of how he works with his people it says that those words, love and loyalty, put them round your neck, but not just put them round your neck, carve them and plant them into your heart. 
You see, what is intentionally placed on the outside is to become something we naturally do from the inside. From the outside to the inside. Put them around your neck, but not just that. Make them go part of your heart and live them in a natural way. Be make them become part of who you are. You see, many years ago, the Old Testament tells us that God had a group of people called the Israelites that he had a relationship with. He loved the Israelites and he worked with the Israelites. And, but the relationship with them was actually quite external. It was actually quite a lot of rules and regulations that they had to follow in order to have a relationship with God. You know, the commandments and the Ten Commandments were so pivotal to, to them that actually carved them on stone. How external is that? Writing them down, writing them on stone. They were given to Moses so that they could read them and knew what the commandments were for the people. Not only that, they were in captivity in Egypt. And when they left Egypt, do you remember it was actually through the plagues that allowed the, the Pharaoh to say, let the people go. It was an external pressure that came to Pharaoh that allowed the people to be released from Egypt. An external set of rules with a bit of fear that involved in that. But you know, then along came a guy called Jeremiah. He was a prophet and he had a message for the people that said, actually, there's a new covenant gonna be made. God has got a new covenant to make. Shall we hear what the new covenant is gonna look like? It says in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will know me and they will be known by me. This relationship, this new covenant, would be a heart-to-heart -heart relationship. Laws not just in the mind, but actually they would be written on our hearts. You know, that's God's culture, a heart-to-heart -heart relationship. That's what God wants with us, a heart-to-heart -heart relationship. Not external rules dominated by fear, but an internal relationship. You know, parents, if you want your children to follow your faith, then I'll be as bold as, to, as this to say, this is a model that we need to replicate. We need to replicate this because we represent God to our children. Just in the same way your background, the family that you were brought up in, represented God to you. Their concept of God was, was something you absorbed from externally and became part of you. Unless you intentionally found out more and intentionally went about finding out about God for yourself. Our upbringing will show us our concept of God. We know if in our homes, if we reflect a culture of a heart-to-heart -heart relationship, then the children are more likely to stay in that culture and not look for another culture to find their key relationships in. Our culture in the home of heart-to-heart, that is the culture that they will want to be around. If we give them freedom, give them respect, and give them honor, because this is what God gives to us, 
then any other culture will pale in comparison. You know, I really believe that our kids brought up in a kingdom culture, a heart-to-heart relationship, a relationship that is not ex- all about external, but internal, will actually make our children stand out from the crowd. You know, I remember one of our children, our daughter, Megan, she was at a, a college here locally, and she got on very well with one of the tutors, and the tutor really enjoyed teaching her and chatting to her. And they used to talk a lot about religion and talk a lot about C3. And she was intrigued by her. And she was really intrigued by the church that she was involved in. And I remember Megan coming home one day and it was almost time to have a parent consultation. And she said that this tutor had said to her, I'm so looking forward to meeting your parents because I think you live in Happy Valley. Happy Valley. I don't know whether our house is Happy Valley, but I do believe that as we teach our children and give them a culture of honor, respect, and freedom, then our children will stand out from the crowd. You know, sometimes that doesn't make it easy for them. Sometimes that makes it quite tricky for them. But you know, for us, the key thing is for them to have had relationships within a church community where they have other Christian relationships and friendships and relationships where they can actually talk and support each other and pray for each other within the situations. That's why the youth is so important. Give it up for the youth and the youth ministry because I think it's so important. And we love you guys. It's so important. But how do we do all this? How do we do what I'm talking about, building this culture within our home. You know, since our relationship is not external with God, but now it's a heart-to-heart relationship, the relationship has freedom and choice within it. And I really believe that we need to give our children the freedom to choose things. Age-appropriate, but able to choose. You know, even in the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. There was a choice. Love has freedom involved in it. Freedom allows choices. Healthy relationships have choices within them. It becomes unhealthy if somebody's told and controlled in some way. We all need freedom within relationships. Choices which can often have responsibility for the consequences of that choice, good or bad. Adam and Eve had a consequence for what they did, because, but for their own good, they had to leave the garden. Otherwise, they could have made more of a mess. Actually, leaving the garden was a good thing for God to do to help them, but there was a consequence in the choice that they made. We need to ha- teach and show our children and each other, help each other to make responsible choices, and, but have responsibility within it. It isn't true freedom if there isn't a choice. That's control, and it isn't healthy. Love equals freedom and responsibility, not fear and control. I really believe that the goal of parenting, and I just have to slip in, and grandparenting, (laughs) is not to control our kids, but to help them to learn how to control themselves. And actually, internally, for them to learn that. You see, decision-making is a skill 
which is like a muscle, and it has to be used in order to grow. You have to use this decision-making skill. And we can only do that by giving choices. Even with preschoolers, even with young children, do you want the red cup or do you want the blue cup? Doesn't matter to me whether you want the red cup or the blue cup, but to them, they feel like they have a choice and they'll choose what they want. I remember having battles with one of my children about what to wear, but what they wanted to wear and what I wanted them to wear. And it was a battle. I'm sure every parent has had battles that they've had to face. You know how I reduced the battle? And I kind of just came across it by accident. Now I've done a bit more about uh, personality and uh, life thrive and realizing that actually was probably a good way forward. I actually laid three sets of clothes out on the bed and said, you choose. And they chose what to wear with no battle. Because they had a sense of ownership and they had a sense of choice and they weren't told what they had to do and the friction was less. Choices empower your children. Do you want one story downstairs? Or do you want to go to bed now, get ready, brush your teeth, ready for bed, and then have two stories? Oh, I want two stories. Well, then that's upstairs, brush your teeth, get ready for bed, then you can have two stories. It's a choice. It sounds simple, sometimes it's harder to do, but as we get on, in life, and the children get older, the choices get wider and larger and broader and become more age-appropriate. I remember family, and I was sitting there once in the kitchen, and the, the boys at this age were probably about 17 and 18, two boys, and the mother every day made their pack lunches and told them what they were going to have in their pack lunches. And one of them asked whether they could have a different chocolate bar that next day when they were making the pack lunch up. And she said, no, we have got so many for each week and this is the chocolate bar you are going to have in your lunchbox. I remember thinking, gosh, that's a slight extreme. And then a few weeks later, we were discussing university choices. And she commented to me that they couldn't make a decision about which university that they wanted to go. But it was their decision and they had to make a choice and they had to make that decision for themselves. And I thought to myself then, they're not even allowed to know which chocolate bar they want to eat, never mind know which university to go to, because decision-making is a skill, and it's a muscle that needs to grow and be allowed to grow, allowed to grow. Just to show you and to prove to you that it's not too tricky to have to work out which chocolate bar to eat. I'm going to ask Billy, do you want the Kit Kat or do you want the Blue Ribbons? They're blue ribbons. And what he didn't realize is he got two if he said the blue ribbon. There you go. <laughs> Round of applause for Billy. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> you know, I've been, our, our, we were not perfect parents. I'm not saying that we were perfect parents and got it all right by any means. Contrary to popular belief, that we don't have a perfect family either. And we mess up and we get cross with each other and we fall out with each other. But, you know, we're trying to work with God and work with his word to, to do the right thing for them. But I've been uh, listening to a guy called Danny Silk and who's done a, a parenting course. 
And I've been listening to that recently, and he gave an example where he gave his children some choices. He decided that it was time for them to learn and choose when it was time to go to bed and when they should go to sleep. The age-old battle. They were six and four at the time, and he said, I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear from you, but you need to go in your room, go to bed. I'm like, what? Yep, I don't want to see you, don't want to hear you, but it's time for you to go upstairs and go to sleep when you're ready. So they were very excited about this idea. And then a little while, lots of noise was coming out from upstairs. So we went upstairs and he said, hey guys, what's going on? And they were like, we're not tired, we're not tired. He said, are you not tired? No, he said, well, did you need something to do? Yeah, okay, come downstairs with me. And he opened the, the back door in the backyard, and there was loads of leaves all around the floor, and he gave them brushes, and he said, when this is all clean and sweep up, if you're still not tired, then I'll find you something else to do. And apparently the six-year-old got on with it and swept it all up, and the four-year-old just sat there and And he said to them, are you feeling tired? I'm very tired. And off they went off to bed, and they went to sleep. We didn't go that far. We didn't do that, but actually... It may be perhaps a good idea in some situations, giving them age-appropriate choices, allowing them to have the responsibility to make some decisions, rather than thinking that we have to control them and manage them, allowing them actually to think things through. Love with boundaries. It doesn't mean to say that there's no boundaries there, but they're in safe environment with safe boundaries for them. You see, love gives choices. And I think even love itself is a choice. We have to choose to walk in love. We choose to love God. We choose to receive his love. We choose to walk in relationship with him. And we choose to walk in relationship with each other. I choose to love my husband every single day. Sometimes it's not very convenient. Sometimes he needs attention from me when I don't want to give it. But I choose to love him every single day because I've chosen to be committed and loyal to this man for the rest of my life. And I choose to do that. Loyalty has a choice within it. It's not a prison, but there are restrictions within it. We chose to commit to each other. Loyalty means that he can trust me. He knows that I'm going to be with him through the thick and thin, that we're in this together. We're in this over the long haul. It's not a prison, but it is a restriction because that means we make choices that confirm our loyalty to each other, that confirm our love and commitment to each other. The Bible puts it in like this, a faithful friend is faithful all the time, even if you're hurt or upset each other, loyalty finds a way to forgive. You think in long-term marriage that perhaps, oh, well, you're just used to each other by now. You kind of like can't hurt each other anymore because you know each other so well. But you know, the scary thing is, and the truth is, you know each other so well, you know exactly what would hurt each other. So you have to be even more careful about the way you speak or the way you treat each other and make that choice. 
You know, we've been together for three whole months on sabbatical, and we didn't fall out once, except the time we went kayaking. We didn't have a major, major fallout, but it was the first time that we've been in a kayak together in a double kayak, and I've never been kayaking before. I was, I was always the mum that was on the bank. I'll look after the bags. See you later. Bye. Have a nice time. Quite happy to have a bit of space and quite happy to watch them having fun, and I didn't want to fall in. Well, we went kayaking, and we realized we're perhaps not quite as in step and in tune with each other as we thought we might have been. Because while everybody else was going across the Milford Sound, which was absolutely beautiful, and Becky and Megan were way across with the group, we were still trying to work out whether it was right you do now, or left you need now, or right you need to. And the, one of the choosers had to come back and fight. You felt like, you know, when the kids get left behind, the ones that are stuck, that need the help. You know, the tutor comes and tries to encourage you over to <laughs> reach the group. We, we eventually got to the group, but after we'd done a few circles, we actually got around. We nearly had a falling out, but uh, my husband very calmly said to me, you have a rest now. You stop paddling, <laughs> and I'll paddle for you. Yes, dear. <laughs> but loyalty and faithfulness will be tested. It will be tested on a regular basis. Apparently, in relationships, every seven years, your relationship is tested, and you need to go push past those seven-year um, interval to actually go on to the next phase. So if you've made it to 21 years or 14 years, so you've actually pushed through at least two or three cycles on that. Um, but in loyalty will be tested. You know when I think that loyalty is tested the most? I think it's tested not just in marriage, but in friendship. When it's in secret, what you say about them behind closed doors, when they're not there to hear what you're saying, not just your spouse, maybe your children, maybe your friendships, maybe your workplace, maybe your leaders, maybe your church leaders. What you say in secret is where the loyalty will really be tested. I never really quite understood this verse, but maybe had a little bit of insight of Proverbs 27, verse 5. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend, if it's a friend, and you know that you can trust them, and you know that they've been loyal to you, and they hurt you, you know that you can forgive and you can move past that because they're a friend and they're committed to you. It says, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And that speaks of somebody who's showing a public display and is really, really friendly in public, but behind the scenes is actually being quite negative about you. If you think of Judah, how did he betray Jesus? It was by a kiss. And it, there was public display, display of affection, but actually behind the scenes, there was something more sinister going on. Be careful about those who are too friendly in public, but actually, are not loyal to you in the private. Loyalty is tested in secret. Gossip is a sign of disloyalty. If somebody who gossips to you, don't be fooled into thinking, well, they will be able to keep your confidence that it's just everybody else's they tell you about. Because gossips is a sign of disloyalty. Loyalty also has a voice. 
When you speak up for somebody, that loyalty then speaks to the people around that actually you're supporting your friend or your, the individual in the situation. Loyalty has a voice. And actually, when you actually confirm something or, or uh, support something behind the scenes or even publicly, loyalty has that voice. And that can be very, very powerful. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves in the room. Or even speak up when they are in a room in a very positive way. That speaks of loyalty. Loyalty also has an action. How? Following through on your commitments. When you say you're going to be somewhere, that you're there. When you say that you're going to call somebody, that you call them. When you say that you're going to do something, that you do it. That you follow through on promises. This is one thing that is easily done where you can say, let's get a coffee. Yeah, we should get a coffee sometime. Unless you put a date in and a time in and you actually show up on time and commit to it, you're not showing that you're loyal to that friendship. As my daughter came home once from school when they'd been taught all about marriage and weddings, she came home and said, a promise is a promise. So we had a phrase in our house throughout the years, a promise is a promise. And we actually feel that that is really important once you've made a promise that you follow through on your commitments. A cancelled plan shows people that you can't really be trusted. It means that you're a little bit flaky. If we cancel things here too often as a church, then we'll build a reputation that we can't actually be trusted and that we're a little bit flaky in some way. We have a phrase in our house for people who don't show up when they say they're going to show up. Maybe they're on a rotor and they just didn't turn up and they didn't let anybody about it. Or they say that they're going to come and do certain things and they don't. We call them fruit flies in our house. They fruit fly, they jump about and they, kind of, they don't commit. They say they're going to commit, but they don't commit. To be a loyal person is to follow through on your commitments. We don't cancel any commitments unless we really have to, because it doesn't respect the people of their time and the, who they are to us. Another way that we can show loyalty is to give credit where credit is due. Give the credit to the person who needs the credit, rather than taking the credit on for yourself or for other people. That's a loyal friendship and relationship when you're willing to give the credit where it's due. You know, some of you are really, really, really good at loyalty. We have so many loyal people in our lives, Steve and I and here at the team. We have so many of you that are so loyal, and we're really grateful for that. But I just want to say to some that might be almost extra vigilant in your loyalty, just to be careful where you put your loyalties to make sure you're not giving loyalty to, to people or to things that perhaps isn't giving back to you. Loyalty should not be demanded, but it be something that is actually given to relationships, that, to people that you can trust and that you believe in. It should not be demanded or you shouldn't feel obligated because God's, free, God's kingdom, like I said, is about freedom and choice. Don't feel obligated to those who demand it from you, but choose to be loyal to those you trust and believe in. 
Make sure it's based on people's characters and actions that you're able to give loyalty to it. You see, it's a heart response. And where there's loyalty, there is unity. And where there's unity, there's blessing. God commands blessing where there's unity. Let love and loyalty never leave you. Bind them round your neck, but write them on the tablet of your heart. If musicians could come, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. We want God's favor over us, don't we? We want God's favor over us as a people. We want God's favor us here in this city. And it starts with each and every one of us. It starts as each one, every one of us in our homes, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our community. Because where there's unity, that's where God will command blessing. Love and loyalty. Words that describe God. He is faithful. You know, he has shown his faithfulness to us by sending Jesus. He is so faithful to us and to mankind. He will never let us down. He's committed and he's decided that he is for us. You know, he does not miss appointments. He doesn't cancel out. He doesn't fail us. When we speak and we want to kind of have some time with him, he just, he's not too busy that he don't give us some attention. God is a God that is faithful. His key characteristics, God is love and God is faithful. Let's be like him. Let's be a people that imbibe these key principles and live them through. Work in partnership with him. Working with our heart-to-heart relation in him, with him and with each other. We're going to close with a final song here that we're going to sing and then we've got one more thing after that. But um, let's the musicians ready to lead us in a song as we declare how faithful God is to us. Amen. Amen. Amen.